Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. Hi, it's Manveen here. This is the fourth instalment of an ongoing investigation by my colleague at the Sunday Times, Emily Dugan. Today, Emily reveals how new DNA evidence could give a man convicted to life back in 2004 a fresh chance to clear his name. This is part four of 17 Years, the Andrew Malkinson story. Before we begin, just a warning. Some listeners may find some of what you're about to hear distressing. And there's some strong language. Also, this episode features references to suicide. Last time on 17 Years, the Andrew Malkinson story. There was colossal pressure to find whoever had done it. He was in jail with murderers, child molesters, rapists. No crime survivor wants an innocent person to go to prison. What I guess Andy would dearly love is for someone to be able to say, you never left home that night, but he didn't have that. But without putting blame on the victim, could she have been mistaken? Once you start corrupting and contaminating memory, it's contaminated. It is the criminal justice system that sets up these procedures that are flawed to begin with. They're about two or three inches of blue plastic coated thin that it easily collapses. After a few nights, it collapses down to nothing. Andy Malkinson is telling me about life in prison. He's remembering what it's like to sleep on a flimsy prison bed. And underneath the mattress, there's just like a crude metal mesh, and it's all sunk. Some guys are really big and heavy. Could you see the stars from your cell? Occasionally, I'd just get a little glimpse of one star, but there was so much artificial light with the prison ambient light that were on all the time outside. In 2004, Andy was sentenced to life in prison after a 33-year-old woman was raped in Greater Manchester. You'd only get one star, maybe, but it was just enough to stare at it and go, all right. I'm uh, I'm receiving light from the surface of a sun, say it might be 150 light years away. That's kind of liberating and in some way take you away from where you were. Sounds a bit mad. Doesn't sound silly at all. It sounds uh, like a very profound way of training your brain. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. He spent the majority of his jail time in HMP Frankland, a high-security men's prison near the city of Durham in the northeast of England. Despite using the night sky as a coping mechanism, he still had some dark moments. I did a thought experiment about, you know, finishing it. It was quite early, in the first year or two. The helplessness Andy felt led him to think about taking his own life. Well, then I thought, 
that would make me look guilty or it might be interpreted by people as that. I would just die having been a convicted fucking rapist. I can't have that. So again, I was forced to survive in order to prove my innocence. I need to be alive to do that. You're listening to 17 Years, The Andrew Malkinson Story, a podcast brought to you by The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Emily Dugan, a reporter at The Sunday Times. This is a series about how one man spent almost two decades in jail for a crime he says he didn't commit. Despite trying repeatedly to clear his name, he remains a convicted sex offender. But now we've uncovered new evidence which cast doubt on the verdict and the criminal justice process. In part three of this series, we looked at how witness testimony is not always reliable and how the police were under pressure to solve the crime. Back in 2003, one of the first things Andy said to officers when he was arrested was go and check for DNA. None of his was ever recovered, but he was still convicted. Today, we'll hear how new DNA testing techniques reveal another man may have been there. This is part four, Forensics. On Friday the 18th of December last year, a day before rising COVID rates dashed many people's Christmas plans. Uh, It is with a very heavy heart, I must tell you, we cannot continue with Christmas as planned. I was standing outside HMP North Sea Camp, a prison near Boston on the east coast of England. It was 8.30 in the morning. Andy was leaving jail after 17 years. He's being released at a time when people are still largely shut up at home. And those of us meeting him are all wearing masks. It's cold and grey, with a biting wind straight from the North Sea. I love you guys. I love you guys, Andy says as he emerges. Great to see you guys. Great to see you. All of you. Also here, our appeal the law practice who've been working on his case for the last four years, and his mum, Trish. I never thought I'd see the day. So I'd, I'd have passed away by the time it happened. After a brief hesitation, wondering if Covid rules allow it, they finally embrace and hug. It's all over. It's all over, Andy tells her. Okay. Hi, Andy. Sorry, I'm Emily. Hello. Nice to meet you, darling. This was also the first time I met Andy in person. Until then, we'd only exchanged letters. For a short while, we stand in the windy car park while Andy chats to his mum and legal team. It feels great because for a long time I thought, how the hell am I ever going to prove this, you know? Because they accused me of being forensically aware. That was proof, the fact there was no evidence was proof I didn't do it. The first thing Andy was desperate to do was go to the beach. It's the first time I've seen the sea for a long time. 17 years? 17 years, yeah. (laughs) 17 years? Yes. Wow. It's beautiful. It's very beautiful, yeah. It was sobering watching this grown man mesmerised by the sea after so much time. The spot we'd come to was a nature reserve with grassy dunes that suddenly gave way to an expanse of grey water. Andy couldn't stop looking at the ocean. 
his 17 years in jail were dominated by a paradox. To get parole quicker, an inmate must admit guilt. So the longer Andy protested his innocence, the longer he served. I can't make a false confession. And I said to them, I said, I had to try to rationalise it a few times at a few uh, parole board meetings. I said, you must know that there are, however small, a fraction of people who are wrongly convicted. You must know that. And they conceded that. Yes, of course. Because no system is 100% perfect. There's going to be a few people who are wrongly convicted. Yes, OK, Mr Malkinson. Yeah. So what would you say to them? Well, I'm telling you I'm one of those small percentage of people who's been wrongly convicted. How? What would you say to them? Should I, should I make a false confession, I said. Should I? No, no, no. You yeah. shouldn't make a false confession. I said, but well, I don't know what to do. What can I do? I can't make a false confession. Yeah. But you're, the only way of progressing is you. You're offering me this thing, which involves making a false confession. I can't see the logic. One of the most curious parts of Andy's case is there was no forensic evidence linking him to the scene. While Andy was in prison, James Burley, the investigator at Appeal, wanted to review the DNA evidence. Dear GMP, re Andrew Malcolmson case, post-conviction disclosure request. James is reading a letter sent to Greater Manchester Police in 2019. In it, lawyers from Appeal asked for access to the victim's clothes from the crime scene. James wanted to do fresh DNA tests using a new method. ...could provide credible and strong fresh evidence that an individual other than Mr Malkinson was responsible for this crime. They waited to hear whether or not they'd be given access to the victim's clothes, while Andy continued to serve his sentence. It was just extremely difficult to deal with at first. And it never really got easier. You know, even after five, ten years, it was still hard, but you become slowly habituated to it and it's less, not as completely overwhelming as it first was. Andy wanted to learn more about astronomy and the night sky that he only got glimpses of through his prison cell window. And I became aware people were doing open university courses. I thought... Oh, okay. And, um, but I wanted to understand astronomy better. I took on a, uh, an open university course, and as, as I grew with it, each module, I got more and more engrossed in it. So it started off with astronomy, and then I did physics. I actually got sidetracked from the astronomy, that's always been an interest, and got deeper into the maths. I found it very, very fascinating. I'd also read books about some famous mathematicians who'd been in prison, which gave me inspiration as well. You were always maintaining your innocence. Yeah. Did you ever have a sense that prison officers believed you or that there was sympathy? No, they, uh, they're of a single mind. They really try and encourage you to do the um, SOTP courses. SOTP is an acronym for the Sex Offenders Treatment Programme, designed to reduce reoffending. To increase the chances of early parole, a convicted sexual offender, like Andy, is heavily encouraged to do an SOTP course. Naturally, it creates a dilemma for those who maintain their innocence. Andy remembers one time in front of the parole board. I said to them at one of the hearings, I said, it's basically, it's, it's a way of getting those who are wrongly convicted to make a false confession. Because the threat is you stay longer than you otherwise would have to. It's that catch-22. If, yeah. if you're innocent, then you're going to spend more time in jail. Yeah. But if you admit your guilt, you get out earlier. But then how do you, yeah. if, if, if there is no guilt to admit, what do you do? And you it, can't do that. You can't make a false confession. I physically couldn't. There's no way. 
Imagine making a, a false confession to something like that. Andy probably spent 10 years longer in jail. If he'd admitted to the crime, he might have left in around 2011, rather than late last year. In prison, Andy made three attempts to have his conviction overturned, all of which failed. The first came in 2004, the year Andy was jailed. The Court of Appeal looked at some inconsistencies in the forensic evidence, but it went no further. I just don't know how I coped with it. Every day was just a nightmare, hoping that it was all going to end. It wasn't just Andy who got knocked back. His mother Trish has always stood by him. It's indescribable. It's just devastating because he told me from the start, I haven't done it, I'm, I am innocent. And there's, what, there's nothing he can do. Trish has curly greying hair and when she chats, she takes time to compose her thoughts. She told me how back in 2003, she imagined her son's situation would be cleared up quickly. And I thought at the time, you know, it, it would be sorted and he'd be released. And did you think you'd ever see your son again? No, not, not truthfully, no. I mean, I'm getting, I'm older. I was in my 50s when it happened and now I'm 74. In this country, your case can only be heard by the Court of Appeal once. After that, the only way back is via the Criminal Cases Review Commission, who are a government-funded body. Their job is to look at potential miscarriages of justice. And if they think there's a real possibility a conviction could be overturned, they send it back to the Court of Appeal. Andy's case was put to the CCRC for review in 2009 and 2018. Both times it went no further, because the CCRC decided there wasn't any new evidence and declined to commission a forensic review or DNA analysis. I feel angry. It's something that I just can't believe that has happened. While Andy was in prison, I mean, were you able to visit him much? Not a lot, no. I didn't have transport. I think he was in Durham. I just couldn't face going. Yeah. It's just traumatic going to visit someone because you're like a guilty person, you know, getting searched and you can't touch them or you can't give them anything, food or anything. It's just a horrendous, horrendous situation. Hi, I'm John Witherow, editor of The Times. Thanks to you, we get to cover the broadest and most important daily news stories. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. 
Well, getting a conviction overturned in this country is a really uphill battle. That's James Burley from Appeal Again. He's been working with Andy for four years, trying to get the original conviction overturned. The key is brand new evidence, evidence that wasn't before the jury, which undermines the safety of his conviction. Fortunately, in this case, I think we found that. Earlier this year, James's hard work paid off. You know, I knew that DNA techniques had moved on far more sensitive than the DNA testing that had previously been carried out on Andy's case. James spoke to two scientists in Switzerland who told him about one such technique. It's called YSTR analysis and is particularly helpful in rape cases. The majority of the DNA that you're going to find on the victim's clothing or other samples that are taken from her is obviously going to be hers. The male DNA of the attacker could get lost in there. And the great thing about YSTR testing is that it only focuses on that male DNA. And so where previously male DNA might not have been detected, you can actually get to that with this new technique. And this had never been done in Andy's case before. James and Andy were naturally very keen to do this test. But analysing DNA isn't cheap. Fortunately, Appeal managed to get the £14,000 needed via legal aid funding. However, Greater Manchester Police controlled access to the clothing and exhibits they needed. We wrote a lengthy letter to the police, setting out the reasons why this new DNA testing should take place, and then it was uh, you know, an anxious wait, because often we get turned down with these kind of requests. Fortunately, in this case, they did the right thing and they said, yes, you can go ahead and do the testing. But unfortunately, it emerged that the police couldn't locate some of the clothing, or original exhibits, as they're called. As we heard in part two of this series, Greater Manchester Police weeded some of Andy's files after his conviction. Weeding is effectively a euphemism for getting rid of or destroying evidence. We've never been given an adequate explanation, but unfortunately, this kind of... thing where material goes missing, evidence gets destroyed. This happens a lot. But there was some hope. Although the police couldn't locate the victim's bra, vest top and knickers, appeal were able to get material that could be tested. We had to rely on the samples which had been retained, not by the police, but by what's called the forensic archive. Given that you didn't have the original exhibits, what, what are you actually testing? So what you're testing is the samples that were taken from those original exhibits and also various swabs as well. One of the things that was also subject to testing were the fingernail cuttings and scrapings that had been taken from the victim shortly after the attack. In this series, we heard how during the trial, there was confusion as to whether the victim had correctly recalled scratching her attacker on the face. Remember, the police had gone to see Andy the day after the rape and he had no marks on his face. If the victim's memory was right, then underneath those cuttings and scrapings James just mentioned, there would surely be some DNA of the attacker. So the first report that we got back, I remember getting that via email, and what essentially that report found was that in four different areas there was DNA which did not belong to Andy. The four areas are described in technical jargon as crime-specific, i.e. where you might expect DNA to be left by an attacker. The first of the four areas was on part of the vest top the woman had been wearing, 
where there was potential saliva staining. The second area, and probably the most significant, was that there was male DNA detected on the fingernail cuttings and scrapings taken from the victim's left hand. Now, that's the hand that she said she used to cause a deep scratch on the attacker's face. The third and fourth areas were from a swab taken from the victim's neck and from an area of potential saliva staining on the left cup of her bra. You know, these results were huge. This isn't just that you've got some DNA that doesn't belong to Andy in one area. This is several areas and they're all, once you know the details of the attack, you know, there's a really strong case for seeing them as being crime-specific. Knowing that these fingernail scrapings have got a male DNA on them that's not Andy's suggests to me that, that, that indeed a scratch did take place, that she did scratch her attacker's face as she recalled. Well, I mean, this vindicates what the victim said, which was that she used her left hand to, to cause a deep scratch on the attacker's face. I wish it could have been available to the jury at the time. This breakthrough was extremely good news for Andy. But a question remained. Could the fresh sample simply have been from the victim's boyfriend at the time? She'd been in close contact with him on the night of the attack. Ruling Andy's DNA out was one thing, but they needed to show the DNA could be that of a potential attacker and not just her then-boyfriend. With the help of the police, they got a fresh sample from her former partner. In March this year... That got sent off to the, the lab that was doing the testing. And then there was another sort of agonising wait. Let's just pause here for a moment. We know Andy's conviction relied heavily on witness testimony. In this podcast series, we've revealed two of the witnesses who identified Andy had 38 criminal convictions between them, a fact that in 2004 the jury was unaware of. I've tried to contact them, but have had no luck. But I do have numbers for John and Deborah Hardman, who he was staying with in Salford before the rape. They'd had a falling out with Andy, and the Hardmans testified against him at his trial, effectively as prosecution character witnesses. Andy's never been happy with how they portrayed him, but I wanted to get their version of events. So I'm in the... Times head office in London Bridge in the basement where there's some recording studios. What I'm doing, I'm trying to get hold of the Hardmans on the phone. They spent a lot of time with Andy in the weeks before his arrest. He was only ever in Manchester in the first place because he met them on holiday in the Canaries and they helped him come over. We've got a number here for Deborah. And I should say, you know, we don't really know how old these numbers are. Sometimes you can find phone numbers and you're not actually sure might be 10 years old, might be more, might actually belong to someone else. So well, let's just try it and see. Well, that's not a good sign. <laughs> it says invalid number. So let's try another one. Hold on. The person you are phoning can't take your call. We will send them your number by text to let them know you've called. Thank you. OK, that was a different number for Deborah. But let's just try... A number for John. One second. Well, that sounded a lot like a foreign ringtone to me, but the the call ended on one ring. Yeah, I don't have no idea where he is, if that is him. And let's try one last number. I think this one is another one for Deborah. Let's have a go. The person you are calling is unable to take your call. Please leave your message after the tone. 
Oh, hi, Deborah. Uh, this is Emily Dugan from the Sunday Times newspaper in London. So no luck trying to get through to the Hardmans, but we'll wait and see if they get my message. Back to James and his investigation into the forensic evidence. I was sitting at my desk when these reports came through. The tests were to establish whether the unidentified DNA was from the victim's former boyfriend. You rush to open them and you... They're in very technical language, so you're trying to read it really carefully and make sure you understand it fully. And yeah, those results came in and it wasn't his. It wasn't his DNA. The new DNA samples didn't match the former boyfriend, thereby ruling him out. And, as we know, nor did they match Andy. I was pretty delighted, cautiously delighted, because... You can never rely on anything in, the, in this system. You learn not to get your clients' hopes up and that the battle was far from won, so... Yeah, you've indicated what I've been saying for so long. It shows as an unknown male, unaccounted for. Not me. Every single test they've done has shown has nothing to do with me. Who, who is this unknown male whose DNA the Greater Manchester Police have been sitting on for nearly two decades... Whose is it? To find the answer to this question won't be easy. One thing about YSTR analysis, this new type of testing, is that it's not currently compatible with the National DNA Database. This makes things complicated. So to find who this DNA belongs to, police would now have to do fresh testing of a whole range of people, potentially starting with other suspects from the time. I asked GMP if they were doing this, but got no specific response to the question. To have your conviction looked at again by the Court of Appeal in this country, the Criminal Cases Review Commission will only refer it if they believe there is a, quote, real possibility of success. So, with this latest evidence highlighting an unknown male's DNA at the scene, in May this year, Appeal submitted a new application of Andy's case to the CCRC. We don't know how long this will take to review, but in the next episode, we'll speak to the head of the organisation and ask if they should have done more to uncover some of the flaws in his conviction. When I first tried to speak to John and Deborah Hardman, the couple Andy stayed with when he first arrived in Salford, I didn't have much luck. But a few weeks went by, and I managed to get a couple more potential phone numbers. So I tried them again. This person's phone is currently unavailable. Please try later, or send a text. So that's the second time we've tried a number for them, and it's had a foreign ringtone. Which makes me wonder if they've moved abroad, but let's try another one. This person's phone is currently unavailable. Please try later, or send a text. Okay, so that's another one saying it's not working. So this is our last chance. This is a new landline we didn't have before. So let's try that. Hello? Oh, hi. Is that Deborah? Yeah. My name's Emily Dugan. I'm a journalist at the Sunday Times. Uh, I was just wanting to give you a free for a quick chat. Uh, what's that about? It's about Andy Malkinson. Yeah. I think he used to live with you um, in around 2003. Yeah, he did. 
next time on 17 Years, The Andrew Malkinson Story. I speak to Deborah Hardman. Just when you had a drink, I think, it just seems a bit strange, but I think that goes for everybody, really. Was there ever any indication to you that he was capable of anything violent? No, not at all. No. She tells me Greater Manchester Police effectively forced her and her husband to testify in court. They said that they would send a warrant for our arrest if we didn't act as witnesses. And hear from the head of the Criminal Cases Review Commission. I will always fight the corner of the organisation because I think we do do a good job. We are fallible. We will get it wrong from time to time. You've been listening to part four of 17 Years, The Andrew Malkinson Story with me, Emily Dugan. It's brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. The series is written by me and Will Rowe. It's produced by Will Rowe with assistance from Brenna Dardolf. The executive producers are Poppy Damon and Lynn Jones, with original music and sound design by Tom Birchall. If you've been affected by any issues in this podcast, there are some helplines and websites you can access. Just go to the notes in the podcast description. And if you have any information that you want to share on Andy's case, or remember anything from the time, you can contact me directly. My details are also in the description notes. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.